This is Leaving Laodicea, the online podcast of Steve McCraney. I'm glad you're here. Stay tuned, because we've got some exciting things in store for you. Hang tight. You can't handle the truth. Listen, when you begin to comprehend this kingdom of God and you begin to look at the church as we've always known it, I mean, pretty much church has been the same ever since I've been going and I went in utero to church. Don't remember much about that, but I was still there. And the fact is, I mean, some of the music has changed and, you know, we dress down more than dress up. And, uh, you know, there's, there, I guess there's more relaxation of some of the rituals and stuff of that nature, which we think are just magnanimous when it comes to change in church. But pretty much everything's pretty much the same. You drive up to a church and there'll be a, a sign out front that'll say First Baptist Church of whatever city and the pastor's name. Not sure why that is, but it's always the, the pastor's name. Um, like an author of a book. And, you know, when I was growing up, it was real important to be a doctor. So, you know, Dr. So-and-so and Dr. So-and-so, and now it really doesn't matter. And church, churches were named when I was growing up based on their doctrinal distinction. First United Reformed Church. I know exactly where you stand. Or something that now the names have changed, so you have no idea what the church stands for. Um, impact, uh, relevant, you know, just certain names like that, and you, you know, you can't really even understand them. And, you know, when you come to a church, unfortunately, it's a lot like this. Um, you have stadium seating, which are all focal point to what's happening on the stage. You've got a music leader up here that's, sharing some songs. You've got a pastor that comes out and proclaims a message. And they, the people on the stage are doing the ones that are allegedly ministering, and the people in the congregation are receiving. The most that the people in the congregation are supposed to give in a worship service is a amen, or when the offering plates pass by, you put your offering in, or something of that nature. And if you say, man, I want to serve, I just want to serve in a church, then you get to pass out bulletins, or you get to watch kids, why everybody else comes for some sort of lecture setting. Does that make sense? I mean, it's not really much different than many of the lectures I went through in school. Um, you know, I, I graduated with a degree in psychology and philosophy, went back and got a degree in accounting, and then it was off the seminary for advanced degrees. And, and you would have these settings like this, you know, sometimes multiple-tiered setting, kind of like it was in the movie God's Not Dead. You remember the first one? And so the professor would speak, and we would listen, and we would take notes, and because there was an exam coming, and we wanted to make sure we, we learned it all. And, and church became kind of the same way pastor-centric when I was growing up. Now it's celebrity-centric. It's personality-centric. What church do you go to? Well, I don't know the name of the church or its doctrinal distinctions or anything like that, but boy, I love, and we named the pastor. 
It's always about that. And, and we've even moved in this area in our culture today where a church is, a pastor is no longer satisfied with just allegedly ministering to his congregation. Instead, to be really successful, I have to have satellite churches all over the world where they basically come to their settings and they get to watch me on video because it's all about me. It's personality kind of driven. I mean, even today, you know, um, church often is about the pastor, or it's about the music leader, or it's about the show. Man, I really like this church because, man, the music is great. You got these really attractive girls that are up there playing a the tambourine, singing the praise songs, and, and the worship leader, he's got like three albums out, and the pastor is like really engaging and has a lot of video clips. And man, I, I just, I, I love it. And again, there's nothing wrong with using media to communicate the message, but church is to, to be about Christ. It is to be about him. All of it is to be about him. It's not to be about me. It's not to be about Karen or anybody else up here. It's not even to be about you, what you want and what makes you feel comfortable. It's to be about Christ. And if you look at the Old Testament model and even what Paul talked about in the New Testament, when the church came together, people had a song and a hymn and a prophecy and a word. And it was a, it was a, it was an ecclesia. It was a body where every part was equal, that they all were vital to the functioning of the church. And what we have done, at least I won't say we, cause I grew up in this system, happened long before I came around, is we have limited it to just a certain few people that have a gift of speaking or a gift of playing a musical instrument, and those are the only spiritual gifts that we honor in a church setting. You know what I mean? What about your gift? We spent a lot of time talking about spiritual gifts, but we've grown up in this in this culture where I I, I you know I I can't I can't preach like Charles Stanley, so therefore I'm not going to preach at all. Or I can't sing like Stephen Curtis Chapman, and so therefore I, you know, I, I'm just I don't have that kind of gift. But all of us are to be part of that this this body of Christ, this this ecclesia, this amazing thing that we belong to. I was reading a book and was talking about the failure of pastors, me the failure of uh, the church to teach things that are really vital to our spiritual life. And this particular author laid out seven things that the church never taught me. And these are seven things that the church never taught me. And unfortunately, there's seven things that I have really never taught you. And so in 2019, all of this is going to change. All of it is going to change. Let me go through these. One. How to practically live by the Christ who dwells inside of me. This is the how. We focused on the what and the why. That's really simple. Here's what the scripture says, and here's why it says that, and here's why it's important. But how? How do I do that? I mean, I don't think I've ever heard a preacher anywhere give practical, hands-on steps on how this Christ in me, me in Christ, how does that flesh out Monday morning and Tuesday morning, my relationship with my children, my relationship with my with my wife and my friends, the people that I get married to, or the people I have 
in, I'm in business with. How does that even work? I know I need to do that. I know I want to do that. I know I'm commanded to do that. And I understand why that's supposed to happen. But how? How, how, do, how do you do that? How to practically learn how to hear the Lord's voice besides the standard, just pray and read your Bible. Read your Bible more and pray more and you'll hear God's voice. Now that's true, but how do you practically learn to do that? We spent, we spent several weeks talking about that on a Tuesday night, uh, talking about these spontaneous impressions and talking about how God speaks to us and stuff of that nature. But, but how does that work? And even if God does speak to you, how do you know it's God? And if God does speak to you, where do you share what he has spoken to you about? At home? To a few of your friends? How about right here? I mean, this is the, the ecclesiast, the body of Christ. And I would love to know what God has been speaking to you about. And so, even on Tuesdays, hey, anybody want to share what's going on in your life? What you've been studying in Scripture? Well, um, I've been looking through Proverbs or something of that nature. And what, I, what, I'm, what I'm longing to hear in this body of Christ is, yeah, let me tell you what God is doing in my life. Let me, let me, let me, let me, I feel, he feels so close to me. I mean, I, I've, I've reached a new level, a new plateau or a deepening of my relationship with him. How? How did that happen? What, what did you do or, or what circumstances did God put you through to bring you to a place of brokenness where, where you wanted nothing but Christ? Tell me. Tell me, tell, tell each other. The, the, the body of Christ is dying for that. You know what I mean? Church never tells us how to do that. Church never tells us that the church as we know it is really drastically different from the church as God would have it. You know, we've made some changes here to make us different from where we all came from. But the fact is we're still pretty much caught in the same trap. We still kind of do the same things over and over again. We still, the focus of our church is pretty much my message. We sing four songs, sometimes more, sometimes less. And, and the focal point is, is teaching. And teaching is important. Teaching is, you know, something that the, the Bible commands us to do, but it's not the only thing. When we come together, the most important thing we should do is worship. How do we do that? By singing? Well, yes. But all singing is not worship. And, you know, when, when Karen leads in some songs, she's up here and she's singing and she's worshiping and sometimes she's worshiping and sometimes she's singing. Is that true? And I'm listening to the songs and sometimes I'm singing and sometimes I'm worshiping and sometimes I'm not. I mean, it, 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 it's like we, you set the table in church, but as far as the worship, that's something that you have to do, have to learn how. How do you even do that? How, how do we really worship the Lord? Do we worship by standing? Do we worship by laying on our face? Do, is, is that even matter? I mean, is it, is it by the words we say to him or, or is it the condition of our heart? And if it is, have we prepared to come and meet with him on Sunday? And if we haven't prepared to come and meet with him on Sunday, is that because we really don't expect him to show up? Profound questions when you really think about it. They didn't struggle with that in the early church like we do today. Church never taught me what the gospel of kingdom is really all about. I just shared with you that I've only discovered this this last year. And as, as the Lord is opening up 
new windows in my soul and shining is in his light. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to share it with you on Sunday, but the gospel of the kingdom is something that even, even when you go and, and you do a summary of Christian literature over the last 75 years, it's something that has been lost, has been forgotten in our culture, except for some fringe groups. And church never really tells you how deep the tentacles, how deep the hooks of our world system are really in every single one of us. Almost every decision we make, where we go to school, where we work, what do we want to do with our life, how we spend our money, this type of houses we buy and cars we drive and vacations we take and everything that we do, you can always trace that back to something in the world system that we're trying to align our life with to receive something from this fallen world. And even though we try to walk away from it and say, I'm going to re, I'm going to refute that and reject that and abandon that, it's still there. It's in our, it's in our fallen DNA. And church really doesn't, at least in my experience, never really explains how diabolical all that really is to our Christian life. Paul does. Friendship with the world is hatred, enmity, hostility, war with God. For whoever desires to make himself a friend, a philios of the world, makes himself an enemy of God. Now, how crazy is that? And every one of us do it, including me. It's, it's, it's in there. It's, it's part of our DNA, but never really talk that much about it because the church pretty much models itself after the world. Church has to have a building. Church has to have paid staff. Church has to have money that comes in the door to meet the budget. Church has budget meetings. Strange, if you think about it. You know, church advertises itself. It has its own logos. It, it brands itself. You can see that when you're driving around and you look at things on the back of people's cars. You got these little logos for various churches. Oh, I know what that church that is. And, and this is because we're, we're working pretty much like the world system. To Paul or Peter or John, they, would, they had no concept of what we call church today. Number six. This is a hard one. That God's presence is extremely subtle most of the time. You will read in Scripture that for every massive outburst of God, there's over a hundred still small voices. And we have to learn that, that his presence won't compete with the world. I'll never forget this, and I know I've shared it with you before. When I worked at the radio station, Gary Moreland was telling me a story. He had had to get to the station at 4.30 in the morning to get ready for the morning show. And, and um, you know, he was, he was busy at work, and he got in the car, and the radio's playing. He's thinking about all the stuff he's going to talk about on the morning show, and he, he pulls up to the to New Life 91.9, and he parks his car, and he turns it off, and, and he says, you know, I just haven't connected with God today, and, and I don't understand why. And he, he just sat in the car, and all of a sudden, the, the engine is ticking as it's cooling down, and he's just resting in there for a second, and he heard God speak to him and simply say in a whisper, I'm still here. Not going to compete with all the other noise in your life, but I'm still here. Number seven, how do we find Christ in all the scripture? And, and it's everywhere. I, show, I shared some of 
them with you last week in the Old Testament about Jesus, but they're everywhere. I mean, the Lord says in John chapter 5, you search the scriptures because in them you think you'll find eternal life, but it is these, and Jesus, of course, was talking about the Old Testament, that speaks of me. So how do we, how do we move beyond that? How do we embrace this kingdom of God we're talking about? Now, to my great shame, I want to tell you that there's pretty much three views of church. The first one is legalism, and I have been part of that for a long time. Legalism means that when we come to Christ, we enter into a contract. He is sovereign. He is Lord. He is boss. He is literally despot. We are due losses, and that is all true in Scripture. The Bible talks about that, and so therefore there's a contractual obligation that we have with the Lord that our job is to serve him, to obey him. Now, is there anything wrong with that? No. No, we're, we're commanded to do that. But then all of a sudden, my relationship with Christ becomes one of fear. Or worse, it becomes one of guilt. I'm not reading my Bible enough. I'm not studying enough. I'm not witnessing enough. Something my car won't crank, and it's my fault because of something I didn't do by just serving this powerful, awesome, scary God that's going to strike me down if I step outside the lines. And so a pastor, many, our culture almost runs with this. The pastor stands up and goes, well, I need to shepherd these sheep. And so therefore we need to set up walls and lines and, and legally you can't do this and you can't do this and you can't do this to get everybody kind of in line here in serving this legalistic kind of system. Now, yes, we're to obey the Lord, and yes, we're slaves and do losses, but we're also sons. We're also joint heirs with Christ. He is not only God, but he is also Father. And not only Father, but he is Abba. He is Papa. There's a, there's a, there's an intimacy there that's, that's often forgotten. So you have pastors and you have church members who belong to a legalistic system and they, they don't like it anymore because the legalistic system tells them what kind of music to listen to and what movies to watch and television shows and who to date, and how you're supposed to dress. And so there's this reaction against that. So the pendulum goes from legalism and swings way over here to libertinism, which means I can do anything I want. I can live in absolute abject sin because God loves me no matter what. And I've known people like this, literally. And they'll be involved in a horrific sin, and you ask them about it. How do you equate that with your walk with Christ? And their answer is always the same. Grace, grace, grace. That God died on the cross of my sins, past, present, and future, by the way, which is true. And so therefore, what am I worried about? I'll do exactly what I want to do because, after all, God wants me to be happy. It's my best life now, and and he's just concerned about me, and I'm the apple of his eye. And so we swing way over here, and we can do anything we want. Liberal churches that we refer to talk about that. They, they embrace things that the Scripture speaks against because it's not about rules. It's just about love. It's about, you understand what I'm saying? And you, and you neglect, and then it's true, God is love, but you negate all these other things of Scripture because you're on these two extremes out here. And then there's this whole idea of the kingdom of God. With legalism, I have to learn to love him because my loving of him is sometimes based on duty and obedience. 
Do you love the Lord? Well, yes. And I, I fear him and I serve him and I feel guilty when I don't serve him enough. In this one, do you love the Lord? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, I got to get out of hell free card. I can do whatever I want and, and life is wonderful. And yeah, do you serve him? Well, only when it serves me, only when it's in my best interest. But in the kingdom of God and the understanding of the kingdom of God, there's never any there's never any question about love because the kingdom of God comes, and listen to me carefully, when you catch in your heart this breathtaking, resplendent view of the beauty of Christ, when you see him like you've never seen him before, when you see him like Isaiah, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And we talked about two weeks ago, Jesus said that what he saw was Christ. And when you, when you see him lifted up like that, then his mercy and his love and his grace and his forgiveness and his sacrifice, like the songs we sang, the, you know, my sin drew the nails in you and your cross was my cross too. We understand what really happened in all of that. And Christ is lifted up and we see him for who he is. And love is this natural, outgoing flow from us to him. Obedience? Absolutely. You obey someone and want to please someone that you love that much. And with the kingdom of God understanding of Christ as the king, the, the sovereign one, all of a sudden the, the legalism is gone and the, the libertinism is gone and you just see him for who he is. In the book of Colossians, what happens is um church is about four years old and Paul is gone. And the church in Colossae now has been introduced to, has been introduced to some false teaching that they are embracing. We have no idea what that false teaching was because Paul never tells us, but he writes a letter to them basically saying that Christ is enough. It's not Christ plus something. It's not Christ plus a false teaching. Christ is enough. And every time, I never saw this until this week. Every time, that Paul is addressing a problem in a church, the solution to that problem is to exalt Christ more. Your problem is not the fact that you're unhappy in your marriage. Your problem is the fact that your God's too small, that you're trying to find satisfaction in a person rather than finding satisfaction in Christ. Your problem is not that you don't make enough money or you're dissatisfied with your job or you're not happy with your status in this culture. The problem is that your God is too small. And if I lay before you this breathtaking picture of this resplendent glory of Christ and you get your eyes off you and get your eyes on him, everything changes. Everything. So the Jews asked Pharisees, asked Jesus about this kingdom of God he was constantly preaching about. And he's standing there with a group of them, and he says this. He says, Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation. You're not going to actually see it happening and coming in like a wave. Nor will they say, See here or see there. 
kingdom of God isn't like that. For the king, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Some translations say among you or in the midst of you. Now he was talking about, there's two ways to interpret this. One way, and it really depends on your English translation, one way is to say the kingdom of God is not a kingdom made of castles and moats and, and territorial boundaries with armies to defend it, because the kingdom of God is not external, that the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God resides in you, the same place the Holy Spirit is. The other way, depending on which translation you look at, when it's talking about the kingdom of God is in your midst or the kingdom of God is among you, means that Christ is standing in their midst, and Christ is standing among them, and Christ is saying, for indeed, the kingdom of God is wherever I am. Wherever the king is, therefore, there is his kingdom. It's the presence of God that moves us into the kingdom. When you embrace the king, when you incorporate the king in your life, when you understand his glory and his beauty and his grace and his mercy, and you see him for who he is, then all our problems and our fears and our insecurities and our doubts and our unhappiness evaporate because we're in the presence of the king in his kingdom. So I want to just take today, and I'm not going to be able to finish all this, and I would just like to read one or two verses at a time and ask you to just have a Salem moment after we read this, this breathtaking view of our king. Now, honestly, when I say the word king, doesn't it make you feel uncomfortable? Our king, ooh, that's a final authority. That's an authority greater than I am. We live in a culture where there is no authority greater than I am. If I don't like my boss, who's my authority, I'll go somewhere else. If I don't like the president, who's my authority, I'll vote for somebody else. And if I don't like our government, which is our authority, I'll rebel against that government because that's how our nation was founded in the very first place. I mean, we've got this this thing in our DNA that there's no, we're to have no king over us, and yet it's the king who we serve. Christ. Who is this Jesus? Colossians 1.15. He, Christ, is the image. And the word here, if you'll look it up, it's the exact representation. It's the, it's, it's like when you see one, you see another. We talked about this when we were in John uh, 13 and 14 and 15, where Jesus said, I will send you the helper, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. You remember? Another one, another of the same kind, of the same nature, just like me. Well, what is the Father like? He's like Christ. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. People say that in order to understand who God is, you need to start at the Old Testament. It's absolutely wrong. Wrong. You want to know who God is, what God the Father's like? You start at the New Testament. You start with the life of Christ. Because when you see, Jesus says, if you've seen the Father, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and my Father are one. 
Later on, he says, I'm going to send you another spirit, the Holy Spirit, who's just like me. What is the Holy Spirit like? He's like Christ. If you see Christ, you understand the Holy Spirit who lives within you, and you understand who God the Father is. So God the Father says that Jesus is coming as the exact representation of the invisible God, the God we can't see. Christ we can see, we can, I mean, the disciples back then, they touched him. They looked at him. The song we sang today, Mary, when you kiss your little baby, you're kissing the face of God, the great I am. He humbled himself, clothed himself with flesh, was born in the most humble circumstances, tempted in every way you have ever been tempted and yet failed not. I mean, who is this Jesus? He is the exact representation of the invisible God, the firstborn, or the preeminent, or the, pri- the prime, the number one over all creation. Everything. Everything that's ever been created, Christ is preeminent. That's uh, over you, over the people who are persecuting you, over the people who are intimidating you, over the people that you're jealous of. It's over the angelic realm, the demonic realm, all of the universe that he's slung into space with with just a, a word from his mouth. He is preeminent over everything. And he loves you. And he lives in you. And the scripture says that you are in him. Verse 16, for by or through Christ, all. Now we'll go ahead and define this now. Um, and I've done this for you many times in the past. Every time you see the word all in this passage, it means literally without exception. It means in totality. It means the whole without exception, nothing left behind. For by or through him, all things were created. Through Christ. Well, who was the God of creation in the Old Testament when it talked about the plurality, the our spirit, and we, and all that? It was Christ. Book of Hebrews says that he's not only the creator, but he's the sustainer. He keeps everything together. What keeps our world from just exploding out into space? Christ. The one that died on the cross for you, this this view of him that is is hard to imagine. He's, you know, we we've got Jesus here walking around, uh, looking like Jim Caviel's, and then we've got, you know, God the Father up there, that we the Sistine Chapel kind of guy. We don't even know what he's like, and he's firing brimstone and smoke in Mount Sinai, and and we realize that no, that that Christ is the one that created and holds and consists everything together, and he's chosen to live in us. For by him all things were created. Well, Paul, can you define to us all things? Sure. Things that are in heaven and on earth, whether you can see them or not, whether they're thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, powers and authority that you can't even imagine, all things were created through him. And here's the killer. And for him. Why were you created? For Christ. Why were you saved? Why were you chosen from the foundation of the world? For him. Why? To show his glory 
through you. I mean, this is who this Jesus is. This one we become maybe to flip it with. This unbelievable Christ. Verse 17. And he, Christ, is before all things, and in Christ all things consist. It's another way of saying what it says in Hebrews chapter 1, that he holds all things together. Well, my life is in shambles. Yeah. But what you have, Christ is holding it together. And no matter what happens in this life, no matter where we live or, you know, if our economy turns upside down or we're conquered by some other nation or we have some sort of terminal illness, it doesn't matter because we are in him. And the worst that can happen to us, honestly, is heaven. And if you fear dying or you fear, you know, going to heaven, then how small is our God? Well, you don't understand. I'm, I was this way for years. If I die, who's going to take care of my children? Well, what a small God I must serve to think that he can't do it and only I can. Isn't that amazing? Once you get a glimpse of who he is, it changes everything. He is the head of the body. Uh, uh, just so you and Colossi will understand what that means, Paul says that's the church. Not only that, who is the beginning? He's the firstborn of the dead. Why? So that in all things, in everything, good, bad, or indifferent, Christ may have the preeminence in everything that happens to us, in every failure, in every success, in every glory, in every pain. Christ is to have preeminence. And that's not a, that's not a duty thing. That's not a guilt thing. It's supposed to be a glory thing when we understand who he is. God, look, according to Psalm 115, you're in your heavens and you do what you please, right? So I prayed for you to take this thing away from me, this thorn in the flesh away from me. And you could, if you wanted to, you would just think the thought and it would be gone. But since it isn't gone, then obviously you've chosen not to do that. Well, you know what? As Paul learned, your grace is sufficient for me. If I need to go through this, I'm going to go through this. But in everything, whether it's a blessing or a curse, everything, God, you will have the preeminence. Why? So here's God the Father sitting in his domain, deciding to create a world. And he created this world, and he walked in the garden in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve, and they fellowship with them. And in, the, in that garden, he planted a tree of life, a tree of, of substance that, that they can live and have fellowship with God forever. And it, his plan was, was for that to happen, but, of course, evil moved into Eden. Adam and Eve fell. They were cast out from God's presence. We talked a lot about that last week. And then God put a flaming cherubim there to keep them from coming back and eating from that uh, tree of life and live in their sin forever. And from that point on, the whole Bible is a story of redemption. 
How do I, how do I, how do I recapture my people? How do I bring my people back? Well, I'll choose Abraham and Abraham also choose a nation and I'll, I'll choose Israel. And when Israel serves me, I will bless them when they don't. I won't. And, and I'll choose this, that and the other. And then all of a sudden God says, you know what? I've relied on fallen man to communicate my love for man, but I need to come myself. So it pleased the father. He was excited about Christ coming to earth and the fullness of all that God is dwelt in Christ. In chapter 2 of Colossians, it makes this statement even more profound. Remember this verse when we studied it? For in Christ dwells the fullness of the Godhead in his body. When we see Christ We're seeing God himself, as the song was today, the great I am. For in Christ dwells everything, the completeness, the fullness of all the Trinity in God are in Christ bodily. You want to know what the Trinity's like? You want to know what God the Father's like? It's like Christ. And the advantage to that is the fact that we are complete, perfect, the Scripture says, in him who is the head of the principality of all principality and all power. This is our Jesus. Not some movie that we watch where he struggles in the Garden of Gethsemane and has all these human emotions so that we can relate to him as, as a man. And I remember many years ago, and I know I shared this with you, listening to Jesse Duplantis. Remember him? Charismatic kind of New Orleans, Louisiana-style preacher saying he had a vision. We went up to heaven, and he saw Jesus, and Jesus was so broken. Oh, Jenner, you got to, Jesse, Jesse, my, my people, my people, you, you got to tell them about Jesus. And so Jesse DePlantis said he put his arm around Christ, remember, and comforted him. Well, thank you, Jesse. Thank you for comforting the great I am. What arrogance. I mean, it's God himself. We are complete in him who's over everything. Back to chapter 1. For please the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him, by Christ, to reconcile all things, including you and I, to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. This unbelievable sacrifice. To do what? To present you like himself. To present you as holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. When he sees us, he doesn't see our sin or our failures. He sees us complete, perfect in him. If indeed you contender in the faith, and the word if there also means because or since, grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel in which you heard, in other words, that you don't apostatize, which was preached to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, became a minister. And then he closes it this way. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you all, 
and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship of God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God and to fulfill the mystery, which was hidden from ages and from generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. Paul is preaching about this incredible mystery, this mystery. Well, the mystery was that the Gentiles would be brought into the fold along with the Jews. Now, there's a degree of truth in that. But the passage says this. The mystery is the fact that to them, God willed to make known what are the riches of his glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. And here's the mystery. It's Christ in you. The hope of glory. Christ in you. The hope of glory. I've got a a number of examples I'm going to share with you next week as we talk about who this Jesus really is and try to, to gather this breathtaking view of him. But in keeping with the New Testament model of our church and what I would really like to focus on in 2019 is I don't want this just to be about me. I don't want you to come every Sunday and just listen to me. To, you know, I am the pastor and I have, this is the position that God has called me to do and I have, this is, this is how I'm gifted. And so I want to, I want to continually function in my gift, but I don't want it to be to the exclusion of your gift. I mean, I want to know what Christ is doing in your life. And I think other people want to know what Christ is doing in your life. It doesn't mean that you have to come up here and expound on scripture or teach us something, but I want you to share what, what is God doing in your life? We sing some songs. We have a time of testimony of what, what God is doing. And, and, you know, it doesn't matter who's sitting next to us. And it doesn't matter that, oh, this person over here was healed of cancer. And I just got a hundred dollar gift to help me pay my electric bill. So because she got healed of cancer, I don't want to share mine. It doesn't work that way. To, just to talk about what God is doing in your life. So I'm, Last Sunday, I was talking to Nick, and uh, he um, was telling me something that's been going on in his heart in something in the chapel service, in a school that uh, he teaches at. And so I thought about him all week long, and I was going to call and ask him about it earlier in the week, but I didn't want him to worry about it. So I uh, didn't really want him to prepare. So I mentioned to him last night, I said, Nick, would you be willing to come up and just share what you told me, uh, what God is doing in your life? And he agreed. And so... Nick, just come on up and share, will you? Well, the Lord has been doing a great work, not just in my life, but in my family, my wife's, and my daughter's. I, you could say a real revival is breaking out in our house, and uh, we're hoping that it spills out into our neighborhood to the to the, uh, lost ones around us. As a matter of fact, we have a drug dealer who lives to the left of us, and just, I'll be honest with you, there's there's times where I see him, and you know, I wish he wouldn't do that, and you know that's not safe around my house. But then God's been saying, "Well, why don't you go over there and talk to him?" And so, anyways, pray about that. That, that hasn't happened yet, but I think it will. But but what the Lord's been doing is, well, I think it's just a culmination of what Pastor's been preaching about about the kingdom of God, and also, I mean, just here lately, me and my wife are talking about this. Uh, 
when I'm at school talking to the other teachers during our lunch break, everybody's been talking about just this urgency of Christ is coming soon. I don't know if you saw here, you know, they've been rebuilding the temple here recently. They, they did an animal sacrifice at the temple and they invited all these different nations, even Muslims to come watch this because, you know, they want world peace and all this, this stuff is happening. It's, it's, it's getting very close, but all of those things come together just to, uh, I think God used to speak to me that, you know, you, you need to be ready for it. And I think, well, to be ready for it, you just got to read more scripture. You got to pray more. You got to, uh, you know, just make sure you're faithful to church and all those things are important and part of it, but, but when it comes down to it, it comes down to Matthew 6.33. That's my favorite verse. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. I didn't even realize how much that verse actually did mean. To, it was always in my life verse. I didn't even realize until recently that it means more to me than it even did before. In His righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. Well, anyways, um, God has been working in my life and just showing me things, trying to, I guess you could say, sanctify me. And here just a couple weeks, I think it's about three weeks ago, we had a chapel service and this uh, missionary's there. He actually, you, if you've been to the mall, you've probably seen his bookstore. He's a little tiny Christian bookstore. And um, I think his church is, uh, he, he has a church right behind it. Actually, their storage room, they turn into a church. And it's a little bit more charismatic, but it's a very uh, missionary-based church. And uh, he came to, and one of my good friends, one of the teachers goes to that church. And he's helping him a lot with uh, with things there. And he invited him to come, and he spoke about missions. And I figured, you know, being a little more charismatic would be kind of a neat service, a little fire hill and brimstone and just really crazy. But he wasn't. He was really down to earth, really humble. And he's just encouraging the kids, you know, to make a decision for Christ. See, he may not send you to another country. And, and this guy's been to Africa 40 different times. He's been to India. Uh, they served in South Africa and uh, Malawi and just a lot of different things. And his testimony is really great. I've been reading his book. It's just, it's very... uh inspiring and very encouraging but he just talked about you know you need to surrender your life to christ no matter what it is that he wants you to do and i'm sitting there you know looking at these kids thinking yeah i wish they would really really make a decision for christ like i have one time and then i just kind of i think it was just god just had me ask myself well would you go like would you go to south africa would you take all 50 of your daughters <laughs> down to, to south africa and would you serve there oh yeah of course you know i would god i've been saved for such and such years and all this stuff and and sold out to you. Then I really thought about it. Well, yeah, maybe I need to be more serious. So they had the altar call, and there's all these little kids, and you know, they come up every week, and they're probably praying, you know, for their families and stuff. And, I, and I'm just up there, the big kids, just up there at the altar with all of them. And I'm praying, and I said, Lord, you know that if you sent me, I would go. And then I thought, well, would I really go? And I said, yes, Lord, if you sent me, and I'm being serious right now with you right now, I will. And I couldn't say go. I said, would I really go? And then it's just like the Holy Spirit said, would you really take your family? If I sent you to where your daughters would, would be under the threat of being kidnapped and sold into to slavery or something like that, you, you take five beautiful white daughters to another country, you know, we're, we're just kind of, it's just kind of like a prized possession when these people might take them, would you take them there? Or where all it would take is a bite from one wrong bug and it could kill your wife or one of your daughters. All these different dangers. Would you really do that? And I got honest with myself and see, Jesus is like a surgeon. It's like he does an x-ray on you. It's, and when his, when you're in his light and he shines on you, you see what's really going on in your heart. And I said, God, I can't. I, I can't lie to you. I can't take them. I will not tell you as a sovereign God that I won't take them, but I'm telling you right now, I can't. You know I can't. And I started sobbing. I, I could tell these kids were like, what's wrong with him? 
Is this guy, you know, is he confessing murder or something? I mean, I was just like, I was bawling my eyes out. I couldn't even concentrate. I, I actually thought I was going to have a heart attack. I'm not joking. I was just, I never felt so much grief in my life. Not from any of my loved ones that died or from any, even whenever I was getting saved and realized, you know, I was on my way to hell. I never felt so much grief. And I said, God, I can't make that sacrifice. I can't do it. And as soon as I said that, I looked up, I was at, you know, I was at the altar and they have this, this, uh, baptistry and above it, there's this giant cross that hangs. And I looked up and I saw that. I said, Jesus, no, that's a sacrifice I couldn't make. And because you did that for me, because you took all my wicked sins on you and you died for me and, and, and everything I do wrong and, and all those things, you died for that. And because you, you did that just for the very fact that I can come to God boldly and you are my high priest. Because you did that for me, then yes, I'll go. No matter what it costs us, we will go. And as soon as I, and it was actually for real for the first time in I don't know how many years. As soon as I said that, it's almost like the Holy Spirit came and took this 100 pound backpack off my back. I, I didn't even know it was there. Because I attended church and I did my devotions. I did everything a Christian supposed to do. And I realized then and there that the Holy Spirit was working in me to start to fill me. And, and I went back to my, and the crying stopped. And when I went back to my seat, I couldn't even be excited for that yet because I was so shocked by it. And then from there, God started this process of sanctification. And it hasn't been easy. He's been working my wife's life. There's some things that she's trying to get rid of. Uh, he's talking about, you know, the pendulum, the legalism, the libertinism, all this kind of stuff. You know, for her and I, it just swings back and forth and we go through all these technicalities. And when Jesus is just saying, just sell up to me, just, just abandon, just abandon it all for me and I'll take care of it. You know, Matthew 6, 33. So he's been doing a real work in, in our, uh, lives and, and, and things were going very well. Uh, uh, even when I talked to pastor, there's still some things that God was still working on in my heart. And it's, it's one thing I wasn't going to mention because really for me personally, it's embarrassing, but I think the Holy Spirit right, is saying right now, you better say it. Because somebody might need it right now. But one thing I was, I don't like to use the word addicted, but I think it was, was video games. You'd think a 38-year-old that has a wife and kids wouldn't have a problem with that. But I did. You know, and I'd do good, and then after a while, I'd play for a while, play some games for a while, and then uh, I'd get home from work, and well, that was my R&R time. And I gotta deal with kids, cause I'm a teacher all day, and then I'd get home, and I, you know, I'd play that for a while and calm down. But it, but what it was is actually I was just, it was just an escape from everything else. I was relying on that and Jesus because my devotions and stuff, but I was relying on that too to help me, I don't know, maintain my life or sanity. And God started putting his finger on that. By the way, I'll just give you a warning here. If you ever ask God to point out something in your life that's wrong, I'm going to warn you, he will actually do it. And sometimes it's embarrassing and it's hard. And and I started thinking about that and I started negotiating. Well, what if I only play at this time and, and all these kind of different things? Then I realized the Holy Spirit showed me the very fact that you have to negotiate this like it's some hostage means you probably are hooked on it. There's a problem there. And then he says, what I want you to do is get rid of every bit of it completely. Just don't even have anything to do with it. But God, they're not a sin. And then these people do this and all that. And he's like, well, maybe they don't have a problem like you do, but you do. And if you really, you said you would go. I mean, if you can go take your kids to Africa or somewhere where they're in danger, can't you get rid of video games? And I, and I got on there and here my little girls are behind me and, and they're watching and instead of going through all this, just uninstall this thing right here, I took the whole thing in one folder. It was like 500 gigabytes, which is huge for you older folks. <laughs> it was a lot, it was a lot of waste of time right there. And this, it took like 30 minutes for the thing to delete from my computer. And uh, I was about to click it 
And I did not realize how much those hooks were in me. And God says, if you really want to be sold out, if you want to be my disciple, as pathetic as this sounds, this is your cross right now. You need to take it up. And I was sitting there, and you, and mostly my girls, how sweet they are, they'd use, oh, daddy, it's okay. You know, you can do this or that. They'd say, click it, daddy. They said, click it. And I realized, of course they're going to say that because they're competing with this stupid folder for my time. That's my babies. How, how can I show them how to live for God if I can't even control myself there? The Bible says the city without walls, it, it, it's, it leads to destruction. The enemy can come right in. And it's kind of like, you know, I love fishing. You know, lures, you use the right one for fish, and it looks like they're bait that they want to eat, but they don't see those treble hooks. And that's what the devil is doing for me. Just play a little bit. You, you need, you need to have, you need to have your time or whatever. You know, you need some me time. And, and that's, and God was saying, don't worry about that. I'll take care of that part. Just click it. And I clicked it. And as it, it was showing real quick, all the things that were deleting, you know, it took forever. And I saw this one game and realized, oh man, I spent so many hours. I remember days where, I just just stay up so late playing that and that and this and and as it was all gone finally, again it's like there's another backpack I didn't realize I had there, and you know and it hasn't been easy. But as we're doing more and more of this in our family, you could tell the Holy Spirit is filling up more. See, I always wanted to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and it's been twelve, twelve and a half years since I ever experienced that. I did, you know what it, what caused it back then? The same thing. We were walking, me and my wife were watching these shows, and there's certain things in them. And this is before Vid Angel and all that stuff. There's certain things in him that we know as Christians you shouldn't listen to. We're kind of just, oh, well, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not too bad. And we ended up giving up something there. And, and at that time I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I was helping the pastor. We'd be going, we had our highways and hedges program, we called it, where we'd go out to these houses that way out in these farms that never got to hear the gospel. And then we'd be pulling into the church and there's some teenager walking the road. I said, stop, stop, stop. And I'd jump out and I'd go grab him and show him the gospel. And that's not like me. I'm a non-confrontational. I don't like to, you know, I don't like to hurt anyone's feelings or make them feel bad, but I couldn't help it. The Holy Spirit was working in my life and it fell away. And the Lord's been showing me that too. He said, why did you fall away from that? Why did you get back away from that spiritual tin, as, as Pastor Steve likes to say? Well, how did you get away from that? It's because I kept trying to ride that feeling. After a while, I enjoyed the feeling of being spirit-filled more than the one who was filling me up. And, and, and I'm not going to make that mistake again by God's grace. But anyways, he's been working in our lives. We've been having family devotions every day. Not that we're anything super spiritual. And this isn't, and I always, the, the devil will always have me try to believe, and I'm sure he does for you too, that being spirit-filled is for the spiritually elite, the pastors, the evangelists and stuff. When God says be, be filled with the Holy Spirit in Ephesians, he's talking to Christians. It doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. He says to be, it's a command. He says be filled with the Holy Spirit. And God has been revealing a lot of things. I've had a lot of wisdom on things I never would have before. And it's only because of God. But um, I just want to encourage you, as you're home today, as you're driving home from church here, whatever the case is, Lord, am I truly led by the Spirit? Is there anything in my life preventing that? Because you can't be completely filled. If you have a glass that's got a little bit of it, it's got chocolate milk in it, but you want water, you can't fill it up with the rest of the water and say it's filled with water. There's still chocolate milk in there. You gotta spill it. I don't know why you want to get rid of chocolate milk, but you gotta, <laughs> you have to get rid of that and then you can be completely filled. It's the same thing with the Holy Spirit. There might be something just resting dormant and it might not even be a sin. It might just be something that you're just giving all your time to.
I mean, it could be Facebook for a lot of people, your phones, it could be sports, it could be anything. If there's something there taking God's place, it's not worth it. Because it's not going to go over with you in the kingdom. You know, God's not going to say, Jesus isn't going to say, well done, thou faithful servant. You spent plenty of time on Facebook or anything like that. It's, it's going to be, you know, what we've done for him. So that's all I have to say. Thank you. Thank you. Let me pray.